It's the long-awaited cookbook and memoir by Mia X. Things my grandma told me, things my grandma showed me. It's more than a cookbook. It's a cultural soul food experience. Indulge in Mia X's realest intimate kitchen moments. It's the new bestseller. Things my grandma told me, things my grandma showed me. Available on Amazon Audible and online at www.teamwhipthempots.com. So let's just put it out there because folks don't realize this, that you were very influential in Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Notorious Big, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls uh, career. Tell me that story. Like, how did you teach Biggie the essence of rap? Yeah, we were just experimenting with it. And and another thing we talked about was uh, doing rhymes at the time. Actually, I was working with Lena Horne, too, doing rhymes where... And one of the things that Lena did when she sang, I, you could visualize what she was singing about. Painted a picture. Yeah, she painted a mental picture in your head. So I, I said, that's something you could do as well. You could paint a, a mental picture, you know, three o'clock in the morning, crack of dawning. So you see in the sun that he incorporated right. those ideas. I mean, in Juicy, I just remember when Juicy wow. dropped, it was just, I was like, I learned all the words so quickly because I was envisioning what he was rap. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Yes, indeed. Only in New Orleans, baby. It's your boy Wild Wayne. They go jump on shorty. Big boy, we made a new Another exciting podcast. It's called Wild Wayne Unchained. You're about to get an audio experience here. So welcome. Welcome to the show, man. We are uh, continually getting more and more uh, great guests that come to the table with rich stories about New Orleans and and the culture and the cuisine and the lifestyles of this city. Um from, from all areas, uptown, downtown, East Bank, West Bank, young, old, musicians, chefs. We getting it all in on the show. And uh, today I got my co-pilot holding it down. What's happening, baby? How y'all doing? It's me, Sean Royal, co-pilot, second assistant, first mate, whatever you want to call me. I got your back, Wayne. What's going on with you? How you? I, I am excellent. Like, I, I just get really amped up, man. Uh, our listenership the amount of folks that have been downloading the podcast and subscribing is still going through the roof. We added some more countries. Like now, we're yeah. not just in Spain That's right. and Canada and Mexico, but we added Germany. That's right. Uh, and I think uh, there was one other uh, country okay. that we, we gained some additional listeners. Uh, so I'm, I'm super excited about all of that. And before we reveal our guest for the day, man, shout out to our folks that have provided us with some great authentic New Orleans food uh, for the podcast. Not not only 
some food, but some drinks. We don't have no liquor this time. Normally, no we have no some liquor, liquor on no the show. Normally, we have a little libations. We get we cut up a little bit, but today, we, we're going to uh, stay on the sober side of things. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> Miss Loretta from Loretta's Praline, she blessed us today uh, with her new beignets, which are... Uh, chicken and slaw with a barbecue sauce on it. I haven't tried that one yet. That's illegal. That that should be banned in all 50 states. It's like that? That, that is really good, man. That is New Orleans. and Yeah, that's a, that's a party in your mouth right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then my favorite is the crab meat beignets. She sent us some of those. Uh, we have a traditional king cake. With a, a little bit of a twist. Is it traditional? Uh, is it really? We're going to talk about that too. I think hers is traditional. Okay. I okay. think it so may, the other ones are non traditional. They have some that are not traditional. And like I was pissed. Like okay. I was, I saw these sushi king cakes. I saw that. <laughs> what is that I foolishness? Saw that. I saw that. And we're going to talk about that during the show how people are pilfering our culture, culture vultures. and re, re, reforming it for their own. Okay. And I guess, you know. Anybody can do anything, and right. sometimes it's good to have little subtle changes, but some things we need to keep as our own and classic. Yeah, they go a little too far with it. Sushi, really? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, and then this is uniquely New Orleans. It's rice kalas uh, from Loretta's, and it's made from rice and I think sugar, maybe uh, some other spices, and, and uh, I think they mix some eggs in it to give it a little body, and then they make a fritter out of it, and they add some uh, powdered sugar on top of it. And this comes back from slavery times. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, the slaves made these. Uh, and our guest was telling me about it. I actually read it as well. Like many slaves, they walked around different areas and they sold the kalas to get money to pay for their freedom. I can see that. Uh, to become free that. men and women of color. I can see um, that. You know, and, and I think the other part of this with the Kalas is like folks don't realize that uh, the Africans that they imported here for free labor. Okay. Like, okay. you know, I've seen some people minimalize slavery. It was free labor for uh, these plantation owners and businessmen to get right. rich off of. But they specifically brought slaves that knew how to farm rice, you know, in a country that needed sustenance, in a country of people that came from Europe and killed all the Indians that were the people that were going to be the teachers of how to farm, uh, cultivate, hunt. They killed them all. So they got the free label with the slaves and they made these rice kalas as one of the many things that we created right. out of necessity like and, I, and for survival. Like our soon-to-be-introduced guests say, they were gangsters. They, they Original were, gangsters. <laughs> they were gangsters. Original gangsters. They, they, uh, they paint a different picture quite often. So, so, so now we got we have Miss Loretta. We, and then, we have her. We have her, uh, her um, beignets, and we have her. We have her uh, king cake there, and we have her. Say that again for me. This is uh, rice collage. Rice collage, but to the far left of the table, that's the special. Dun, 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 dun. Yes, the Wild Wayne Dandada Jerk Magic. It's my special jerk rub. Uh, I'm going to throw my slogan out there. Have you been jerked yet? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that. Recently, you were somewhere. You were at a barbecue event. It was the Marley Gras Fest. Marley Gras Fest, yeah. right. right. And people are used to seeing us together. Right. They know wherever Wayne's showing somewhere around, wherever Sean Wayne's somewhere around. We normally, you know, Running we together. run the same circle, right. right. So I was getting phone calls, text messages, emails, DMs. Hey, man, when can I pick up that Don Dada sauce? Where is it? 
Man, I heard Wayne talking about it. I heard people talking about it. When can I get it? When can I get my hands on it, man? So, so what's happening with it? Yeah, you, shout what's out to, to Joel from Molly Gruff Fest because he made me one of the official sponsors. Okay. So that was a, a great look. It'll be coming very soon. Uh, I'm just working a little bit more on my packaging. Gotcha. And uh, I'm going to ship it around the world. I'm going to use e-commerce as my vehicle, uh, festivals. I'm going to do some cooking demos. You know, I've been on my little foodie wave. Okay. And, and if it gets to the point where y'all need it in the big box stores, I'm going to accommodate. There you go. Well, for now, I want it to be global before it's local. Right, right. But it can be local and global at the same time. Well, you know, I'm with you, man. I've been your sidekick for 40 years. Yeah. So, you, know, you know, hey, I'll be right there with you. You know, Don Dada spokesman. You know? Hey, that's nah. what I'm talking about. And last but not least, we have uh, Element Lemonade, man. Shout out to uh, uh, Devin uh, from Element. These guys are not even old enough to drink liquor yet. This is an amazing story, man. Uh, this, is, this is dope. They had they started with a strawberry lemonade. No, I'm sorry. They started with a pineapple lemonade, and I think they got it from their grandmother. Their grandmother. The grandmother family bowl. recipe. Yeah. And now they have three flavors. So salute to those guys, and thanks for bringing us some product to the show, uh, so folks can get a taste, get a feel, purchase it globally. That's where it's at right now, man. Whenever y'all come to New Orleans, get you some element. But with no further delay, man, we're getting into our special guest for the show today. I've known him for a very long time. I've admired his work. Uh, we've, we got into some really great conversations over the years. And it was some little known stories. I was like, man, we have to shine a light on it. And now with the Wild Wayne Unchained podcast, we're going to do it. So today, please put your hands together for Mr. Donald Harrison Jr. <laughs> and the crowd goes crazy. Crowd goes crazy. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. And this is just one of the greatest things to come out of New Orleans right now. Oh. Shining the light on uh, things that are right beneath uh, our noses. Yeah. But we don't know that they're there. This food looks incredible. I can't wait to taste the, uh, the jerk chicken and the collars. Uh, you know, we've re been read reading about that. They were also in Congo Square. Okay, okay. And I'm, I am the big chief of Congo Square. Right, right, right. so I <laughs> know all about it. So uh, this, this, and, uh, this is great to be here and talk about all of these things that we need to know about so that we can realize how special we are. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think people don't understand how special we are. Mm -hmm. Not around the country, but right here at home. And I never kind of understood why we minimalized our greatness. Yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't realize how special New Orleans was until I moved to New York. Okay. Because I always thought, you know, second line, that's what we do. And uh, now I, I call the culture that I do Afro-New Orleans culture. Mm -hmm. I, I came up on the Mardi Gras Indian banneker. But a long time ago, if you if you know the culture, they used to say mass in Indian, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and some of us, you know, there's a, there's a contingent that understands the African element of it. Okay. So I wanted to bring it back to Congo Square, where where the drummers were, you know, allowed to the people were allowed to continue their culture from Africa, mm -hmm. which is why we have the second line here, which is why the style of jazz that we play came from those elements in Congo Square. And somebody needed to, I knew somebody needed to continue that thought and to keep that tradition alive out of Congo Square. And also to honor people like our mamas mm -hmm. and our grandfathers. Right, right. I, I have nothing against 
honoring Native Americans or mm-hmm. Mardi Gras, but I want to honor the people who look like me right. as well. So I wanted to bring that that element into it because we have a great history and great people, and we have to think of ourselves like that as well. Tell me, tell me uh, what you know, uh, and I know you've extensively studied and you've been around so many different Mardi Gras Indians that have oral traditions that are passed on that have never been jotted down or recorded in one of these formats, you know? So that's the other reason why it's important because stories die with people. So this is our opportunity to get it out there. But what are some of the stories you've heard about how the Mardi Gras Indians or the masked Indians, like how, how did that start in conjunction with some of the Native Americans or did it? There's, you know, with anything, there's different factions. And, okay. And, and, and I know that this, this line thinks this way, the Tootie Montana line thinks this way. Mm-hmm. My father's line thinks this way. Okay. So that, and, but we're all, we can all. And your father is Donald Harrison Sr. Donald Harrison Sr., Correct. yeah. And my father uh, was the chief of five different tribes. Okay. But he's more from the line of uh, Brother Tillman. Okay, so tell me the differences, like what each faction kind of believes and, and how it differentiates. Well, uh, Tootie came up with what they call the downtown style. They, I like to let guys tell their own story, actually. <laughs> but, because <laughs> You don't uh, want to get it wrong, right? Yeah, because they know exactly if they, want, if they want to tell it because a lot of times they don't tell it because... Uh, intentionally. Intentionally they don't tell it because they know that it would be uh, changed in, into something that is not their intent. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's things that we can say, like uh, our beadwork uh, is more African. Okay. You know, if you look at it, and uh, I just brought it all the way back. And uh, there's words that we say that we know what they mean mm-hmm. <laughs> and signals that we know what they mean. Right. Like somebody could come in here and shoot me a signal and I'll, they could talk to me. So there's things, uh, but you, you can't know that stuff unless you mask. And I heard you <laughs> refer to it as secret warriors. Yeah, yeah. See, I mean, because uh, initially they were uh, being strong men in the face of uh, everything that was that was challenging them. Right. So it was a way to say, on this day, I'm going to be a man. So... Uh, Right of passage. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, that's the perfect. And so they have these rituals and things that they do mm-hmm. to uh, to make, just like in Africa, uh, uh, even, even Native Americans, there's a process to becoming uh, a man. A man. Right. Basically. Right. So, and now now the women are involved and they're, they're doing great things with it too. So uh, they were always involved with their, their taking a leadership role. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I have nothing against all the guys and their ideas. And uh, the beautiful thing is that we can uh, respect each other for mm-hmm. the different ways that we think mm-hmm. and the different fo- the different uh, ideas we focus on. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? right. It seems like there's a dilemma there. So with there being so many secret words, signals, rituals, combined with the fact that we don't have as many people masking anymore, like you don't have as many kids learning how to do it, 
it seems like some of those secrets would kind of dissolve into the annals of history. Well, it doesn't matter. For us, it doesn't matter uh, mm. historically what people think of it. Wow. It only matters that we continue it, continue the, the culture. And, and, and in reality, there's more now. There's more. It's, it's growing and growing. Okay. Yeah, okay. So I was thinking it was the opposite. Like no, it, it, it's becoming more. It's not like it was when my father was masking, and he had 150 people in the tribe. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and they would they could extend for miles. Right. It's not like that anymore, but they're growing, and some of the groups are getting bigger and bigger, hmm. and uh, and they are teaching the people who teach kids uh, their their ideas of the culture. But the main thing is that we all can get together, even with me saying that I'm Afro-New Orleans, mm -hmm. and that we respect each other. See, you know? I, I'm guilty of that, because my grandfather masked in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And growing up in the 70s, he tried to, to pass that tradition on to me, but I wasn't interested. You know, I wasn't interested. That, that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't think masking or being an Indian was that much fun. But now that I'm older and I look back on it, I sit there and I kind of regret it. Mm -hmm. Because now that I have grandkids, I would like to pass that on to them. My brother, however, he stuck with it. He can tell you all the history. He can tell you the different signals and the, you know, sort of like you said, the secret society. You know, he, but I, I see where you're coming from. You know, I, I understand that there is a culture and there's a culture that we need to pass on and we need to preserve. Yeah, well, you know, the thing of uh, me being a musician and studying so many styles of music. I realized, this, this is what I didn't realize, uh, that the music here in New Orleans, well I knew it, but not to the extent that I know it now, that the music here in New Orleans influenced the music and culture of the world. Wow. It's a very important root source mm -hmm. of, the, uh, of what we do with music in the whole world today. Mm -hmm. And uh, Congo Square is, is one of the root sources of things that are African in the music mm -hmm. and still alive today. And uh, coming from inside the culture, I can listen to records from the 20s and know exactly what came out of Congo Square. Gotcha. Hmm. So, and, and, know how, and I know how we're using it today in jazz, in hip hop, and <laughs> mm -hmm. in in funk music. I know how that has permeated to being alive today. So the thread is still alive and I knew it was I figured out it was my job to pass that on. So everybody, right. everybody has a job in this. My job was to make sure, make sure that those links were passed down where you could say, okay, I know the who, what, why, when, and where of the music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's that was my that was my job. I could listen to Art Blakey and know ex exactly what he was doing, a great jazz drummer, to continue the, the legacy of uh, stuff that was created in Congo Square. Now, did you grow up in Treme? I started as a as a baby in Treme, then we and then we moved to Arlene's Avenue. I guess it was still Treme. Mm -hmm. And then when I was about 6 years old, we moved to the Upper Ninth Ward. But uh it's like I'm from Treme because right. My father <laughs> took me to so many second lines <laughs> and of, of course the uh masking with him. So how how have second lines changed from when you were a youth to today? Like, what differentiates those? Well, you know, if you look at the history, they used to come out, first of all, they were benevolent societies when they first started. 
Mm-hmm. And some of them still, and what they did was help people uh, buy homes, uh, pay, pay. Uh, so they raised money at the second lines? The, the groups raised money. Okay. Oh, gotcha. The groups, Throughout the year they raised money? Yeah, they, Not, they, okay. they took, they, they had insurance, they had things to, to take care of people. Okay. And then, you know, the parades they, they put on were very dignified. They had on uh, black uh, tuxedos, and tuxedos. Uh, tuxedos yeah. and sport okay. coats with sashes. And then you had the second liners. So, I mean, you don't hardly see that anymore. So it wasn't as much dancing and pageantry then? It was pageantry, but different. And you still had the second liners. And okay. It, you know... My grandfather was in a group called the Odd Fellows. You can look all this stuff up online mm-hmm. to find out about it. But uh, it's, you know, even Zulu is a benevolent society. Mm. If you look at the whole title, before they started putting social and pleasure club uh, as the main thing, well, social is the same thing. Okay, social, you know, because you're helping people. Correct. So, so it's the, the idea of using culture to help people was part of the second line. And, you know, when I came up, I was playing with a guy named Doc Paulin who had 11 sons. Right. Wow. And he lived to be 100, I think. But he hired all the young people. And at that time, he was the hottest guy in second line, except, you know, uh, Tuxedo and Eureka were around. And it was closer. They were an extension of uh, of the older styles of uh, traditional jazz, the brass bands. Mm-hmm. And then here comes the Dirty Dozen, right? Playing at the Glass House, and they started started adding elements of funk music mm-hmm. and bebop, jazz style of jazz, and 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 for me, bringing the beat back to uh, to what we call uh, Congo Square, and then the Rebirth came along and started playing that style and, and other bands and and R and B right and touches the hip hop everything. Nowadays, it's, it's, it's open, you know, and uh, reaching the young people again mm-hmm. and, and having big second lines all over the city and becoming a worldwide, worldwide phenomenon. So, uh, so, and uh, so it just evolved. It I mean, just, it's, it, it, just it keeps, it keeps evolving, right. but it always, for me, what I call it has the jungle beat in it. Okay. <laughs> it's always got that in it. And that's reminiscent of Congo Square. That's, that brings you back to the Congo Square days. That's 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 the yeah, drama I mean, that the, you hear. The, the second line when they had the the uh, the early second line music, it was Africanized too. What, what we call the music syncopation. So syncopation is is it can't, a lot of the, what we call second line music, early music, came out of Philip Sousa. They had a lot of different elements that were in that music. But if you hear Philip Sousa, he go boom 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. But they took that and said, boom, So they Africanized it. They put they put the African beat to it. And then they put the African elements, dance elements to it. And took the uh, gospel music and made up new music, the blues, all those elements, uh, elements from classical music, and made up a new beat and a new way of doing the music. And and uh, what we we call traditional jazz now, gotcha. brass band music. But they also played in clubs, and uh, in the red light district in New Orleans. So and uh, for dances, all of those elements was were around. So there's a lot of different things that uh, the mu- different areas the music went to. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Now, now, when you first got into the music world, how old were you? Well, I was I wasn't too young. I started. Uh, I always listened to a lot of different styles of music at home. You know, I was listening to classical music to Charlie Parker, mm -hmm. to Etta James, to James Brown, to uh, the UNESCO series African music, mm -hmm. Indian music. My father was. And my mother, they were eclectic in terms of listening to a lot of music. So I never thought that you should like one type of music. Mm -hmm. So I, and then when I started playing music, I guess I was around fifteen or sixteen, and uh, I decided I wanted to play everything. Right. But jazz is my focus. So I've, I'm one of the last guys to play with a lot of masters of jazz, such uh, as. Oh, <laughs> I need names. <laughs> yeah, I play with Art Blakey, Lena Horne, Miles Davis. Uh, just, I mean, almost everybody who was alive. Uh, Dizzy? Dizzy Gillespie. Wow. You, you know, it's hard for me to, it's, it's not who I play with, it's who I didn't play with. Right. <laughs> now, do, you, do you play a specific instrument? Do you play all instruments? I consider myself an alto saxophonist. Okay. But I, I like, uh, also a composer, so... Uh, I have, uh, since I'm a composer, I learned how to play almost every instrument, have a what I call a working knowledge. So it just hit me. A, a light bulb just went off in my head. You're the gentleman they refer to as the one man jazz fest. That's right. You're, <laughs> I, I, what, well, what does that mean? Is <laughs> that I, because when we play, we play the whole history of music mm. on wow. a concert. And my wow. thing was to, uh, to be real in all types of music. And then put all those styles that I learned from all those masters, you know, playing with Bernie Worrell from Parliament to uh, Fred Wesley from James Brown, you know, playing with the guys who actually made up the music mm -hmm. and learning what they were thinking when they made up the music. Wow. Going back to the guys who played, I was in the Dukes Men, the guys who played with Duke Ellington. So, wow. you know, when I came up in the brass bands in New Orleans and the culture. So I, I, I was the guy who went to Clarksdale, Mississippi and hung out with the blues guys so they could tell me how they put the music together and, mm -hmm. uh, and learn from them and them to tell me, uh, my goal was for them to tell me that I was authentic in the style, to do the work. Mm -hmm. Well, they told me, you have it. Right. You have mastered it. So uh, most styles of music, the guys who, are, who invented those styles of music have told me that I have done the work. So. That was my goal, and that's what I got. So, so now I can put the music together from that place. Sounds like it. Sounds like you've <laughs> done, done it all. <laughs> Certified and bona fide. It's, it's just a lot of hard work, you know. I, I, I teach a lot of students, and I tell them music is like a bank account. Mm -hmm. You can't take out what you didn't put in. Wow. So okay. it's up to you to mm -hmm. do the work, you know. Right, right. And the riches will be rewarded. Gotcha. Yeah, you have to. I do it because it's a. It's, uh, when I toss something or give something to the audience, I want them to know if it's cultural, oh, that guy came out the culture. Mm -hmm. If it's the blues, oh, that guy, know he's, he's real. And they feel that, and they feel the respect I have for their culture and their music. So that gives them a respect for me, because it's, 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 it's giving love back and forth. It's authentic, it's organic. It's love, right. it's big. I love what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I really do love that and I'm gonna try to do my best in it. So now you feel that I love you. So it's reciprocated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So I know that you've traveled the world. Have you been on, on, in, on every continent at this point? I don't think I've been to Antarctica. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
of living. You never know. But I've been a, 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 a most inhabitable inhabitable planets. Right. I mean, planet planets. Uh, inhabitable uh, continents. continents yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. yeah, I've been to most of them, including Iceland. It looks like uh, the moon up there. Wow. So, so when I called you initially to try and get this going, you were in New York. Uh, I was like, man, can you come do the podcast? He's like, well, I'm going to be in New York for a while um, before I return home, but by all means, let's do it when I return. So we're here, and immediately I was like, hmm, we need the story about one of New York's native sons. Because although we had talked about it in the past, when I tried to Google it, there's not much out there about it. NPR just kind of skated over it so they could put more New York people on, on their particular podcast or their article. Uh, I saw a couple of other ones. But I figured the best way to get the real story with the layers and the texture and, and for it to make the most sense is from you. So let's just put it out there because folks don't realize this, that you were very influential in Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Notorious Big, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls uh, career. You know, it's really ironic that, you know, our rappers here in New Orleans, we started our own flavor. It was definitely independent and unique of New York style, although it was still rap. Um, And I just remember some of our guys going to New York, spitting bars and like killing those guys, you know, and they thought we were some country bumpkins from down south. We were slow. Like (laughs) Fiend and and Mac and Mystical, you know, Lil Wayne, like these guys were killing it, you know, and they didn't think we had it in us, but obviously we did. Um, And, and, and it just kind of comes full circle that one of the biggest iconic figures in New York hip hop or hip hop globally was uh, taught by one of our very own, by Donald Harrison Jr. Tell me that story. Like, how did you teach Biggie um, the essence of rap and how to put together melodies and syncopation and jazz influences what were you doing in new york at that particular time well i was playing uh, i think this is the 90s might be the 80s no it was the 80s i was playing with art blakey at that time and uh we lived on the same block st james place Mm -hmm. and uh i used to see this kid standing in new york the porch is called a stoop. He used to stand on a stoop. The stoop at the brownstone. That's right. Right. So he'd uh, he started engaging me, mm-hmm. saying, "I see you got a, a horn. You play music." And started talking to me. That's good. And I was like, "This kid is really intelligent. Mm-hmm. He probably was about thirteen at the time." He was like, "Man, I want to get into music. I love music." So I was like, "Okay, man. One day we'll, we can see what can happen with that." He kept. So he was thirteen. About how old were you at that time? You know. I probably was 23 years old, probably 10 oh. years a senior. But mm-hmm. he, I mean. Was, was he chunky back then? He was a little, ch- not as chunky as he was later on. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he was he was a little kid, basically. But like a grown man, because he could discuss things like we're talking about things. Okay. Yeah, he was very intelligent. So uh, I could talk to him about things. And you think you were talking to a grown up till he did something like a little child would do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I want to go play video games. Okay, I get it. But, uh, 
eventually kept bothering me about coming to deal with music. So I said, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to teach him to be a jazz musician. Right, right. But then uh, I talked to his mother. He said, yeah. And we got got to know her. She let him come over and we started, I started teaching him jazz. He said, yeah, but I want to learn. Uh, I want to do hip hop. Mm. So then uh, I had been a student of hip hop. So, and I was listening at the records at the time. The first thing I told him was a lot of times older people like me, when we listened to the uh, rappers or MCs at the time, we don't understand exactly what they're saying. Right, right, right. <laughs> so if you first thing learn to enunciate mm-hmm. every word that you're saying, gotcha. then that's going to change the whole game. Because I'm going to understand as a person who doesn't, you know, maybe not me, I might study it a little more to see what you're saying, but a person who doesn't know the music, he's going to hear what you're saying. If he can articulate it. If you, and, the addiction is clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you right. noticed. He was very clear. And then we talked about uh, what we call the snare drum and bebop playing. That's jazz, a jazz style. Mm-hmm. And he he was a true student of music like myself. So he, uh, if you gave him something to work on, the next day he came back and he had mastered it. Hmm. So he started mastering how to use the rhythm of a, a, a jazz drummer in hip hop. And one funny thing that uh, we worked on, we listened to a lot of different types of music and one day we were listening to uh, to uh, a guy from Motown. Uh, woo, so he does that. Uh, I'm getting older now. Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. listening to Marvin Gaye and Marvin Gaye goes, woo. I said, you know what? You need to put that in some rhymes. And, he, and that became something iconic for him. But that came from Marvin Gaye. Huh. Just a lot of little things like that that we worked on. But you had was, an ear for it. You had an ear yeah. for it, his style, and you can include different things in it. Yeah, we were just experimenting with it. And, and another thing we talked about was uh, doing rhymes. At the time, actually, I was working with Lena Horn too. Doing rhymes where, and one of the things that Lena did when she sang, I, you could visualize what she was singing about. Painted a picture. Yeah, she painted a mental picture in your head. So I, I said, that's something you could do as well. You could paint a, a mental picture, you know, three o'clock in the morning, crack of dawning. So you see in the sun that he incorporated right. those ideas. I mean, and Juicy, I just remember when Juicy <laughs> wow. dropped, it was just, wow. I was like, I learned all the words so quickly because I was envisioning what he was rap. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Uh-huh. Like it like, seems so simple, but it was complex. Yeah, I mean the way he the way he the way he rapped sounded simple, but I'm sure it was complex. Yeah, but the thing was he he mastered all of these different techniques and how he would incorporate them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, telling a story like he was talking mm-hmm. about. It's, mm-hmm. it's a story, right. not just uh, talking about. I mean, just. This is what happened, or what? Not, not. I don't even know how to put it, but not just rapping, but it was a story right. that you could see, you know. See, see, this, this, this is this is pretty neat. This is pretty dope because when we think about rappers, we think about somebody just sitting there with a pen and paper, you know, writing down some words, whatever comes to mind, and just putting it together, sort of like a jigsaw puzzle. But, but this is a guy that was actually trained. True. You know. The, th- the thing is. Uh, like these young guys with this with this drink, that when you start young like that, and somebody's feeding you all these different concepts, 
and then you master them, it becomes easy. It does become easy for you mm-hmm. because you, you know, I, I teach students also, and I say you should know this music like you know your ABCs, like you know your name, because you don't have to think about that. Right. And if you work on it hard enough and you keep working at it, then it becomes second nature. It goes into your subconscious. You just do it automatically. It's so you, natural. So, so you think Biggie Smalls or, or Christopher Wallace, you think he could have done anything outside of rap? You think yeah, he could have been brilliant. a musician? Yeah, he he could have played music. He was brilliant. I mean, some, some people you meet, you know they're brilliant. So rap was just the avenue he chose. but That's what he loved, yeah. Okay. So he did it. Maybe he would have changed later because some of the guys who were around him, they started playing instruments. Right. You know, you never know. So you didn't try to keep him under your wing for a little longer to make him uh, a little <laughs> Donald Harrison Jr. protege? Well, I, uh, he was, you know, he was, he got so big he had to go do what he what he had to do, and I understood that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think he would have came back around. If he would have lived, right? Yeah, so that's... Uh, what? So what happened? When did y'all, like, kind of stop? Just you moved or... Well, we always would talk every once in a while. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were close, but he was doing his thing in the hip-hop world. Right, right. I mean, my nephew who started in my band, Christian Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah, hardly yeah. talk to him anymore. They just get... You he's know, all over the, yeah, the world, huh, Christian? Yeah, he's hot, man. He's hotter than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, you know, they, they get so hot and they have a lot of... But Christian still calls me. Okay. And... Uh, he tells me that he based a lot of music that he played on some things I created. You know, I created a few styles of jazz already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, he took those ideas and he's working them through his ideas. What, what are some of your styles that you've created? Well, first, before we continue, y'all want to grab? These kalas are so incredible. I got to check that out. Oh, man. it's This is good stuff. We're going to take some... Uh, uh, Loretta's Kalas mm. and uh, also the beignets, the crab meat beignets, and the chicken and slaw and uh, barbecue sauce ones. Now I like the Kalas because they they ha- have a nice fluffy body to them, and then there's a couple of pieces of rice that yep. are on the edge that are kind of crunchy. Incredible. Um, it just mixed with the soft inside and the crunchiness, sweetness. I think maybe some cinnamon in here, but it's a it's almost like a a gingerbread. Consistency. This is great in uh like a gingerbread cake. My camera went up. I need some more of these in my life. I could do these every day <laughs> instead of beignets. Hmm. Wow. This might be the predecessor for the buttermilk drops. I think it is. Kind of reminds me the, the 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 crust of it and the inside, but I'll take these. <laughs> this has an earthiness to it. Yeah, that yeah. I, that I really love and the texture. I love it. Um. So you started a number of different jazz styles that you created. You just didn't want to color inside the lines. You wanted to do your own thing. Uh, was it like some some sort of creative bug that you're like, man, I got this itch. I need to scratch it with something new. What I'm getting is that, that you couldn't be contained. You just had too much going on. He yeah. was unchained, so, man. Sort of like, he was sort unchained. Of like, sort of like, my, sort of like my, my sidekick here. His brain, Wayne brain, just 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 runs 100 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm getting that feel from you. I'm, I'm getting the feel that you just couldn't. It was just too much going on. That one style of music just didn't didn't didn't. Uh... Sound like it bored you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it bored me because I'm still studying older styles of music. But I think, uh, well, I know that I, things come in the back of my head, and they they just keep coming till I hear something different. Mm-hmm. I, because maybe because I played so many styles of music, 
I started hearing them mixed up. Mm. I started hearing fusion. Oh, yeah, you, you could call. It, I could. I started hearing. Oh, you could put a hip hop beat in jazz. Right in the eighties. Oh, you can put a second line. I wrote a song when I was nineteen called "New York Second Line." New York Second Line. So, hmm. which became very influential. But I took the second line beat and put it into a modern jazz context. Mm -hmm. So I just started hearing how the connection between things. How that more how they're connected than separate. Hmm. So the, the, the one thing I did was Nouveau Swing where I put hip hop and soul music and funk music and R&B inside of jazz music. Hmm. And and the record company didn't understand it, but they let me do it. In jazz music, the records last about three months on the radio. Hmm. Nouveau Swing lasted two years on the radio. Wow, gotcha. And, and was the most requested record when it came out in the in the 90s and I followed up with free to be the same thing number one records that the people that connected with people and i think it's because like i said i love people and respect them mm -hmm. which I, I think i learned from miles davis and art blakey mm -hmm. and a guy named roy haynes and a lot of great jazz artists and artists in general funk artists that they really have a respect for people and they they watch them and learn from them and then they give them back what they got from them. It gets reciprocated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How many albums have you done so far? I'm on hundreds of records. Well, I've probably done about 30 or 40 records as a leader. Wow. Something like that. What's your most popular or your your best performing album? They always say, Miles always said, his next record is his best, best record. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that, but... uh. I like I like each of them had a were a growth period for me. Okay, I started right now. Last thing was quantum. I started, started getting into quantum physics, and I figured how to make that soulful. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. So okay, you I, have to explain that one to me. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, music. This might be too much, but no, give it to me. Okay. I want it. Music uh, uh, is from point it's point A to point B. Okay. So, and I would consider that a two-dimensional way of thinking. But then one day I figured that you could make music four-dimensional. Hmm. So, wow. So it can go anywhere. And, and then I, that's when uh, the sound of quantum jazz started coming in my head. Mm -hmm. And I did a record called Quantum Leap, which uh, it doesn't sound... Are considered soulful because it doesn't sound like all these crazy time signatures are going on. Mm -hmm. But if you clap your hands to it, it doesn't sound like. When you clap your hands to it, you'll find out this this stuff is moving gotcha. in, a, in a whole different way. Right? You know, sometimes I think there's more going on in music than meets the eye. Like I, I remember interviewing Erica Badu, and she just talked about the vibrations. Mm -hmm. being in line for music. That's true. And and I'm trying to think who else I talked. There was a number of artists that talk about certain vibrations have to be going on. I've even heard of them using uh what vibration circles or something these these little things to really make sure the music is in tune and takes it to another subliminal level. And it, it sounds like that's kind of where you're at on this. Like well, it's think, uh, it's taking on a whole another form. Yeah, well it's, I mean everything is uh, the universe is there's a vibration, so everything is music. 
and everything is everything. Really, the answer to the universe is every, everything is possible from what I've read and understand. <laughs> so, so that takes care of that. But uh, the music is connected to the universe, and 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 we're connected to the universe. So it's just, it's it's just simple things. It's not it's natural not, progression. Yeah, it's not it's not really deep. You connected to the universe. Of course you are. The music is con- of course it is. Everything is. So it's more of a vibe. That's what I'm getting from you. It's more of a, it's, it's more of a so it's more of a feeling. It's a feeling that you each each entity has its own feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your own feeling. Right. Everybody, we're all this, we're all human beings. Well, you have your own eyes, your own nose. If you if we learn the same thing, you're gonna say it with your voice. Everybody has their own vibe, but we're all connected. So uh, it's 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 just that we're we're part of a a larger cosmos, a larger universe, which is and even bigger universes, you know. And and you just for me, you just get up and do what you do. And get out the way. <laughs> do the best you can do and get out the way. Your steps are guided. Your huh? <laughs> steps are guided. We, yeah. we asked you earlier, we asked you earlier, what was, Wayne said, what would be the uh, the song that uh, you think you performed? What was it you said? The song, your best song? Yeah. Who, who if, you had to, if you had to pick, what uh, band leader, what artist did you, you, you think you, you uh, enjoy playing with? Well, one of my heroes is uh, Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker. Birdman. I feel like he's the uh, the the Pied Piper of uh, of music that happened in the west Western Hemisphere because he was connected to everything. So uh, the ideal of what we call jazz music is to be uh, the best that you can be Mm -hmm. and to understand music from a universal perspective. So he did that, and uh, that's why he was my. And a guy from New Orleans named Sidney Bechet, they don't talk about. Mm-hmm. But Sidney mm-hmm. Bechet is just as important as Louis Armstrong. But he wow. played saxophone. Gotcha. And he, uh, one of the first guys to sell a million records, but his understanding of music was unparalleled. So he's one of my heroes, too. And he said his music came from Congo Square as well. Hmm. So, so I, I feel connected to him because of that. Because I'm connected to that as well. We, we've done a few podcasts, and, and on each one of our podcasts, believe it or not, Congo Square has came up in all of them. In some form or fashion. Yes, in all of them. Congo Square comes up, whether it's, whether it's from, from uh, the plane of music, or whether it's the second line, whether it's the Treme area. Congo Square just keeps coming. It's, it's a common theme in all of our podcasts. And here you are today, and you bring it up as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was given knowledge of how stuff was put together from there, so that's an incredible uh, thing to understand and to hear exactly what it is in music. But it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's the only place, but it's one of the places that we would have to call ground zero for some of the things that happen in the culture of the world today. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most important places on, on the whole globe for music. Mm. It's an incubator. <laughs> and and the fact that we still have this culture is is something that shows that we are still being uh an incubator for the for music of the world. So it's inc- it's incredible to be a part of it. 
now that I've left and can see it from a distance, mm -hmm. what we're really doing down here. And sometimes they get mad at me in New York, but or different places, I'm, I'm not saying that we're the most important, but we're important. So you have we're, we're the most important. <laughs> I'm, say it. I'm, say it. I, I'm okay with saying that. Right. I, I don't really care. Uh, but you know, it's interesting that you talk about how outsiders sometimes perceive us, you know, and sometimes don't think like we're the cream of the crop, you know, but everybody big ups their area. Everybody pokes their chest out about their area. But what I wanted to talk about was like how all these folks from all over the world claim that they're better at this or better at that, but bite our original indigenous style in everything they do. You just talked about how the rhythms of Congo Square are almost the epicenter of the musical world. Um, same comes with food. Same comes with our various traditions. There are brass brands all across the country now. Yeah. White, Hispanic, Latino, Asian, like it's whatever. Okay, I, I'm glad that they're bringing it because, you know, it's, it's nothing wrong with them loving a style and wanting to bring it to their space. But just give us our credit. But we don't get credit quite often. Uh, I talked about the king cakes. Loretta brought us a great one. I just saw a sushi king cake last week, which pissed me off. Now, granted, sometimes you take some something that's normal and you make it better, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think they try to so grossly change it that it loses loses like the essence of its beginning. And, and I know sometimes it's all about the capitalistic environment that we have, um, but... What are your thoughts on how we preserve the culture? Well, it's our job to keep uh, things that we feel are important alive. Mm -hmm. and I think you're doing that. I think I'm doing that. Everybody here is doing that. So we're doing our part. But a guy I talked about earlier named, by the name of Art Blakey, one of greats, he put it in a fashion that I could understand. And I sort of agree with him that once an idea is presented to the world, it belongs to the world. Mm. So they're going to change wow. it the, the way they see fit. Mm. But the second part of that phrase is, but you must give credit to the inventor mm. because that shows respect for the work that he did to create it. Mm -hmm. So that's our job is to say this is what happened and to be uh, authentic in our knowledge and have, have done the work to know what we're talking about mm -hmm. and just present it. You bought these collages here, mm -hmm. and they're delicious, and you understand where they came from, and you can tell them. One day somebody might put sushi in that. No! Right. But Stop. I mean, but you know it might happen. Yeah. Not that you will like it. <laughs> it's gonna happen sooner or later, not when they hear they it on might, this podcast. They might like it. <laughs> or you may create, create people want it. Once you present the idea, then people are gonna wanna deal with it. Right. So if you don't want them to deal with it, you have to not present it, but that's not our job. Right, right, Our job right. is to tell a story the way we know it to be. And those with understanding, I think, will understand that. And those who don't want to understand that, there's nothing we can do for them. Right, right. So, but we did our job. Yeah, we, we got to put it out there and tell some of this history. Once again, hashtag we control the narrative. That's, right. that's where it's at. Hey, man, I really enjoy you stopping by the podcast today. Mr. Donald Harrison, Jr. 
not not only uh, an accomplished uh, saxophonist known globally, the one man jazz fest, the Grammy nominee, also <clears throat> the guy who taught Biggie how to rap. Uh, man, I, I just wanted to uh, thank you for coming to be a part of our podcast because I think it's really important once again that we continue to tell these stories uh, and they come from us. Uh, versus them being misconstrued by other writers or bloggers or videographers or whatever. This that real. No, when you listen to the Wild Wayne Unchained podcast, you're getting that real. Uh, it excites me to do that. Once again, our goal is in 10 years, uh, this still be relevant. Or 20 years, people can go back and say, man, that, that was the truth right there that we were looking for because we heard all the wrong stories. Um, and, and and ultimately, like this becomes a historical cultural piece of what's really New Orleans. I couldn't have said it better. And this is beautiful. And uh, these young people, 30, 40 years, 100 years from now, this will be another way for them to understand mm -hmm. what was going on from the people who did it. I always say, sometimes I look at books and they tell me about the great artists that I play with. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's not what they told me. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, so the book can be wrong. Right. right. So, so that means go do a little research because I found this drummer who played with uh, James Brown by the name of Clayton Filial who made up what they call a James Brown beat. And he said, I got it from Clarence Hungry Williams, a drummer in New Orleans. Mm. Wow. So, you know, if you do some research, and you, you might find out something that you didn't know, and you might get to the true essence of it. Gotcha. Just do a little more research. Don't take it at its face value. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you'll be a better person and more informed and with better decisions right. for your life and your future. But this will be a place that people can come and say, oh, that's what Donald Harrison said. Right. Not what I thought he said, right. not what I heard. heard. Out of his <laughs> mouth. Right. So we may not present it the sexiest way, but we're going to present it the realest way yeah. there is. So once again, man, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, we got plenty more great stuff coming up from plenty more guests. Uh, like I said, culture, cuisine, and lifestyle. We're going to get some some chefs on the show pretty soon. What? We got some chefs coming up. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. that are going to tell okay. us about that whole chef world because that's a whole other world out there. Uh, make sure... Um, and, and subscribe to us. Uh, then when you subscribe, you automatically will get the podcast as soon as they hit iTunes or Podbean or, or Google Play Music or Spreaker. Um, make sure and email us if you have any questions, any potential sponsors, or maybe you got a product that's uh, homegrown. We like stuff. We want to get it on the bottom level when folks are moving up the ladder that's right. so we can say, man, we were a part of that that movement to greatness. Give us a chance. Um, uh, give us a chance. Help us help you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, give hit us, us a up. chance. You know, hit us up. Uh, the, the, uh, DMs, the, email. the emails, the text messages. Hey, even when you see us on, out on the street, you know, I like I said, man, it was funny. This, this is a true story, man. It was funny. Guy like, hey, man, I, I was at the Crescent City. Uh, uh, what, what was it called? You were at the Marley Fest. Yeah, I was at the Crescent City Fest. Marley Fest, man. And I kept looking for you, man. He says, I know you're short. And, and, and <laughs> he said, I know you're short, man. Maybe you were blending in the crowd. But I was looking for you, man. I looked all over. I couldn't see you. I couldn't find you. So I, I wasn't there. He said, well, maybe that's why I didn't see you. Said, right, right, right. That's probably <laughs> out. But it all goes back to he saw you. Mm -hmm. He knows me. The podcast he listens growing, to the podcast, man. and he automatically thought, hey, 
they will be together. There so, hey, is. when you see us in the street, man, on the, you know, pull us to the side. Tell us what you think. You know, send us an email. Shoot us a DM. And, and hey, we, we're here for you. You know, this is our platform. Wayne and I come up with. It's not. It's not ours. It's yours. It, we, we're doing this for you guys. You know, mm -hmm. we want to give you guys the raw. We want to give you guys the real. You know, and Mr. Harrison, I thank you. You are one cool brother. <laughs> you, you he are what? He, yeah, he is a jazz musician, <laughs> man. I got a funny story. I was playing with Lena Hogg. I always go back. She was such a great lady, man. And, and she looked good too. She looked good too. <laughs> anyway. Uh, with the name Donald, everybody used to call me Donald Duck. Okay. But then when I joined her band, she called me Mr. Cool Breeze. Uh oh. So, you know, <laughs> I, I like that you guys are saying I'm cool. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Hey, big thanks to some of our folks that helped make this uh, possible. Uh, some of our sponsors, uh, like the Wild Wayne Don Dada Jerk Magic. That's right. Uh, product sponsors like Element. Make sure and grab their new lemonade flavors. Big, ginormous shout out to Loretta's yes. uh, Authentic Praline. Sent us some great vittles once again for the show. And then uh, we also got to give props to my man C. Smith. No doubt. Hey, now C. Smith is an accomplished musician also. Yeah, yeah. Right. He, he's, he's done quite a bit That's of work. That's right. That's right. With, C. Uh, Smith Mr. on the cool track. over here. <laughs> See Smith on the track. And and shout out to uh, Buck Jump Studios for allowing as us. Yeah. well. Yes. Uh, yes. We'll be back with another Wild Wayne Unchained podcast. Make sure and subscribe and follow us today. Nouveau swinging with a jazz man and the sound of his horn. And yes, he's got that thing. Improvisations on the lyrics and the tones that I bring, that I bring. You check the blue notes connecting to the new notes to take you. Higher and higher and higher To the lap of reality And ecstasy Everybody can you feel it Let your mind and your body and your soul run free Run free through the Thank you for listening to the Wild Wayne Unchained Podcast Make sure and follow us on social media At Wild Wayne Unchained And for advertising or sponsorship opportunities Contact us at Wild Wayne Unchained At gmail.com